you would please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Listen to the holy and fallible word of God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that Thou hast given to us a witness, a testimony to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, O Lord, that we would be respectful and that we would be found as those who meditate upon the word of the Lord day and night. Direct us, equip us, Preserve us in thy word so that we are in the truth of the incarnate word of God, thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever lost someone? who you have depended upon for counsel, advice, and wisdom in your life. Perhaps some of you have lost a parent 
a sister, a brother, a grandparent, a spouse, a close friend who has been a real confidant on your journey in life. It is difficult to realize that as you face the rough roads in your life, you can no longer go over to their home in order to sit down and speak to them or call them on the phone or in our age, send an email or a text to them or even in terms of the old days, a letter. Personally, I have had to face this road myself. When I lost my brother over 20 years ago to cancer, I was even asked at his funeral, what will I do without my kinship spirit? Well, like all of you who have gone through a similar situation, I have had to learn how to live without the benefit of bouncing off ideas and thoughts with him, getting his insights, his advice, his perceptions on things that were always shaped by the word of God. Indeed, in the human realm, I have had to learn to live without his counsel. Well, if you had had the same experience with a person whom you have loved, then you can understand what Timothy and the apostolic church are about to go through. The apostles are beginning to die. There is a time approaching when you can understand the situation that the apostles will no longer be around. They will all be dead. What will the next generation do without them? Who will advise the church? If a serious doctrinal or moral issue comes up in the church, will the next generation get their answers? What will the church do when there is no one to consult for advice who received their commission and their instruction from the resurrected Christ himself? Congregation, Timothy is part of of that next generation. Let us get specific. What will Timothy do without Paul to advise, to counsel, to give advice to him and instruct him? Where will Timothy go? In fact, as Paul writes this second epistle to Timothy. Timothy has already become confused over the circumstances surrounding Paul's present life. In chapter 1 of this particular book, verse 8, 
Paul says that Timothy's singing's confused, that is, ashamed by the present circumstances that are surrounding Paul's ministry. That Paul himself is now in prison. You see, if Paul is so important, if he's so important for the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then what is he doing behind prison bars? Perhaps even more problematic for Timothy is the fact that Paul's companions are deserting him. Chapter 4 of this book, verses 3 through 5. In this context, Paul specifically mentions Demas, who has forsaken him for the love of the world. Chapter 4, verse 10. Only, only Luke remains with him. Verse 11 of chapter 4. Allow the providence of God in Paul's life to weigh heavily this morning upon your own souls as Paul, this chosen, this chosen apostle to the Gentiles, is coming to the end of his life. Everyone is deserting him except Luke. Congregation, herein comes the weight of Paul's message to Timothy. All through this letter, Paul confronts Timothy basically with this pointed question. Does Timothy's view of the gospel have room for suffering on the part of the gospel? Does Timothy's view of the gospel have room for suffering on behalf of the gospel? It seems that Timothy is having a difficult time reconciling what has happened in Paul's life with what he may think should be the prosperity of the gospel and the church in this particular world. Ironically, this chosen apostle of the Lord, ordained and commissioned as the apostle to the Gentiles by the appearance, the appearance of the resurrected Christ on the Damascus road. Ironically, his end is similar to the end of Christ's life. Like Christ, Paul is on trial. Like Christ, he is deserted and left virtually alone. Like Christ, those who deserted him are confused over what all the events mean that occurred around their respective lives. Let me drive the point home once again. Timothy seems confused and ashamed about Paul. Is imprisonment really what happens to preachers of the gospel 
especially those who are specifically chosen by Christ as an apostle. Think about that. As Timothy is confused over Paul's imprisonment, Timothy himself seems to have deserted his teacher, Paul, as Paul suffers virtually alone, virtually alone in prison. But as Paul faces his God-ordained destiny, Paul is not primarily concerned with his own imprisonment. Rather, he is more concerned with the transition from one era in Christ's church to the next era in Christ's church. Let us be more direct here. Paul is concerned about the ministry of Timothy to Christ's church after he himself, Paul, dies. After Paul dies. Paul, as he lives and writes within the very fabric of God's revelation, understands the urgency of the situation. The church is in transition. The church, Christ's church, is in transition from the apostolic church to the post-apostolic church. The time when the church will no longer have the apostles around since they all will be dead. Christ has already departed. And now all the apostles are about to depart. This is not a positive scenario from the perspective of the early church. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must grasp the seriousness of this transition. After all, you also, here this morning, you also live in the era after the apostle's death. You see, Paul's second epistle to Timothy is the last epistle that Paul ever wrote. Granted, it is not the last letter from Paul which appears in the biblical canon. Those epistles are addressed to Titus Titus and Philemon. Even so, 2 Timothy is Paul's last will and testament as redemptive history is transitioning from one era to the next from the apostolic to the post-apostolic era. Church of Jesus Christ, are you not aware? Are you not aware that last wills and testaments play a significant role, a significant role, a huge role, in the process of God's revelation, especially in the transitional shifts in the history of salvation. For example, Genesis chapter 49, Jacob presents his 
last will and testament. As one era comes to a close and another era begins. So what is closing there? What is beginning? Well, the era of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's coming to a close. And the era of Jacob's 12 sons is about to begin. Yes, the era of the 12 tribes, or more specifically, the era of the nation of Israel. As you can see, there is a progressive shift here. Next, the entire book of Deuteronomy can be viewed as Moses' last will and testament. Once again, it marks an end of one era and the beginning of another era in redemptive history. Particularly, it marks the end of the people of God, Israel, wandering in the wilderness as tent dwellers, and hence they are about to inaugurate an era of proceeding into the land of promise, a permanent land of their inheritance, Canaan led by Joshua. But the most significant transition in the entire history of redemption comes from our Savior. It can be said that John's gospel recorded our blessed Redeemer's last will and testament from John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. The question here is this. Now, what is the transition that is at the heart and soul of our Redeemer, of our Savior's message? It is the transition from Israel's temporal inheritance in Canaan to the eternal, eternal life inheritance of God's people, both Jew and Gentile, in heaven through the priestly atoning work of Christ himself. Indeed, through his death and resurrection. Indeed, Christ enters into the heavenly places before his people. He goes there to prepare what? What does he tell us? He goes in terms of his last will and testament. He says that he's going to a place where you will come. He's going to a place that he's preparing for you, for you, for those whom God saves by faith, sovereign grace and gift in the service of Christ. Now, although the transition that Christ has brought is the most significant in the history of redemption. There still remains one more shift in God's sovereign control over history. God had chosen Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant The gospel going to the nations has a significant position in the Apostle Paul. If that is not evident to you this morning, I would just ask you to turn around or look around and look at each other. 
gospel has gone to the Gentiles. And you are that beautiful, beautiful product of the Holy Spirit's work in the post-apostolic age. You cannot minimize the importance of this man, the Apostle Paul, in the economy of God's progressive work in redemptive history. You must not minimize or overlook Paul's importance as an apostle to the Gentiles. And you surely do not minimize and trivialize his importance as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Indeed, the shift is crucial and important. How is the church going to survive? How is the church going to go on without these dead apostles? By God's careful hand of providence, Paul is led to write to his confused, ashamed, and wandering pupil. Timothy. In the final analysis, God, not Paul, wants Timothy to be the student of the crucial transition in redemptive history. And thus, Timothy must comprehend himself what God is doing here in his sovereign divine plan for Christ's church. Timothy needs to understand what it means to live without his great mentor and teacher, Paul. God leads Paul to instruct Timothy in this understanding. So as Paul lays out God's case, we come to the powerful and straightforward words on the last half of the third chapter of which our text is here before you this morning. Herein Paul reminds Timothy of their journey together, of their fellowship together, of their friendship together in terms of that ministry in which they have been joined. Look at verses 10 and 11 of our text once again. You, however, you, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. 
This is what Paul and Timothy have endured together. But wait, Timothy. There is more to come. Note what Paul tells him in verses 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Indeed, Timothy... If it is your desire, if it's your desire to live a godly life in Christ, Timothy, you will suffer persecution. But not only you, Timothy, but the entire church of Jesus Christ. Don't be confused or ashamed that I, Paul, am in prison for the sake of the gospel, suffering persecution. For this is and this will be the state of the entire church and his flock until Christ returns. Men, women, young people, Are you listening? If you truly, if you are truly godly in Christ, then you will suffer for your faith. It may come in different ways, but you will suffer for the gospel. Some are not willing to take that path. Now look closely at verse 13. How is that verse for those who are still hanging around after the apostles die? Evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Great. That's just what I needed to hear. (laughs) Just what I needed to hear, Paul. Things are only going to get worse. So if that is true, if that is true, How am I, and I meet here this morning, a collective I, Timothy and all of us, how am I going to persevere? How am I going to continue in such a state? How am I going to endure? How am I going to survive? How am I going to go on in the midst midst of such attacks and suffering? How is the church that bears Christ's name, how are we going to make it? After all, 
all of Christ's apostles are dead. Are dead. Everybody's attention right now. Now, grasp the power and the force of verse 16. Now grasp the power and the force of verse 16. How will the church of Christ in the post-apostolic age make it through persecutions, afflictions, and sufferings in this world? It is through... It is through the scriptures. God will not, will not leave his people without his testimony and witness to and in them. Through the spirit of Christ, the scriptures are going to have a rich habitation in the minds and hearts of Christ's sheep. God is going to leave you. God is not going to leave you, excuse me, without the wisdom and counsel that you need in your journey here on earth with respect to all the hardships and burdens that come in terms of this world. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that you may be complete, equipped for every good work. See the power of this for you. And in your life, See the context of how Paul places this upon the heart of Timothy and in the life of the church. Congregation, did not Christ himself make a promise? Lo, I am with you always. Well, one of the ways... One of the ways that Jesus is always with you is by means of his, and I love this phrase, comes from Van Til, Cornelius Van Til. He has left us with a personal letter. A personal letter. Do you like getting letters in the mail? <laughs> you have a personal letter from Jesus every day that you can read.
We will fight. We will fight for the doctrine of Scripture. For its inerrancy and infallibility while sits on the the nightstand. Your equipment, you see, your sovereign God is in your presence always in every situation through his word. So it isn't a coincidence that Paul and Peter 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, write two of the most significant texts setting forth the doctrine of Scripture as the church moves from the apostolic age to the post-apostolic age. In both of these passages, from Paul and from Peter, we are to live in the confidence that through the work of Christ's Spirit, bearing witness to his words in our hearts that the gates of hell will not prevail against us no matter what hardships lie on the landscape. In fact, in fact, we are even told by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 4, 14 through 16, the text right after the text that we have been concentrating on in terms of our evening series, that Paul will never leave us. Indeed, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, the scripture that Paul leaves behind, including his last will and testament, will always provide edification to the church, direction to the church, advice to the church, and counsel to the church, to Christ's precious bride. But our quick introduction this morning is not complete without a quick reference, final reference this morning to verse 15. Congregation, You can never separate the word of God, the scripture, from its message. The message of scripture in our understanding of scripture as the infallible word of God is must be always understood and integrated together. And that message is the gospel. So do not miss what appears in verse 15 prior to verse 16. You can definitely make the case that the reason that the scriptures is God-breathed is because the scripture makes us wise unto salvation 
through faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy. (laughs) What's going on here? Can't you remember your childhood? Look there in verse 15. You want to know, parents, what you have pledged on the basis of baptism, of training your children in fear and admonition of the Lord? Here it is, verse 15. Here's your oath before the Lord to your children. Who was in Timothy's childhood? His wonderful grandmother. Lois and his wonderful godly mother, Eunice. How did Lois and Eunice raise Timothy? In the scriptures. In the scriptures. And what was the central message that Lois and Eunice shared with Timothy in terms of raising that child as a covenant child? They raised that child in terms of what? Showing them how the text in Scripture makes him wise, makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you do family worship? What's the question? Do you do devotions even to yourself? What's the question you should be asking every time you read a text? It's right here. It's in the infallible word of God. Lois and Eunice didn't miss it. Every section of Scripture teaches, teaches how to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Joey, Sally, how did what I just read, how does this text make you wise in the Lord Jesus Christ? That question needs to be asked every time you have a Bible study on the text that you're dealing with. And if it has been a mystery, this line nine months, concerning where I'm coming from and concerning Scripture and the interpretation, if you go back, every text, that we have listened to and has been proclaimed from this gospel 
from this pulpit has been the gospel of an attempt by the Spirit, hopefully, to make you wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ. I used to tell the students at Covenant College when you're dorm for Bible studies, if you're just going to sit there and go around to the group and say, what does the text mean to you? What does the text mean to you? What did the text mean? Stay in your room. Forget it. You may say that's pretty negative. Then we wonder. We wonder why people are not convicted by the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ when they study the Bible? That's the question. It's not bad to go around and ask people what they're thinking, but make sure, make sure no study of the Bible is absent from this question. It was the heart of raising Timothy by Lois and Eunice. And they're still, as you can see, he had questions at this point at which Paul had to direct him back home. Let's be serious about the gospel. The gospel in the Bible. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for its salvation. We ask, O oh God, that we would always struggle and wrestle with seeing the Christ in every section of Scripture which we read, which we study, which we meditate upon, which we seek for counsel and advice. For we live in the age of persecution, of suffering for the faith. We need the strength of thy word, thy spirit, to endure in boldness the onslaught that comes upon us. Give us your shield and protection. In Christ's name, amen.